doorless chambers, where strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls. This is the Theme Park Loopy Podcast. Hello everyone, it's Christmas 2022 and this is the Theme Park Loopy Podcast. Monopoly is more of a family tradition than watching big burly men lifting buses, you know. I think it's a, it's a really good point that Sam's making though. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't really. Hi everyone, we're joined today by Dan, who's a friend of the show. Christmas is coming up. Uh, I need to ask you some important questions. So, so, who's the best Scrooge? Oh, it has to be the Muppets. (laughs) I watched the Muppets Christmas Carol the other night. It is pretty good. But, well, Michael Caine, are we saying Michael Caine? is the best Scrooge. Are we saying that the Muppets Christmas Carol is generally the best version? Yeah. And it, it basically just zones in on his face a lot of the time as he is he's watching Muppets. And I think it's quite hard to disguise the fact that, you know, it's it's hard to emotionally latch on for him as an actor to, to the Muppets. So I wouldn't necessarily say it was the best performance of Scrooge, but it has to be the best, you know, the best overall film, just, you know, sentimental value reasons, really. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. I personally, I'm quite a big fan of the Alistair Sim version, um, which came out in the 1950s. Um, I can't remember. I don't think I've seen that. You've never seen the Alistair Sim version. That's the no. one that's got like the original Tiny Tim in um, that you see. I'm just trying to think. Um, is it in Home Alone that they show? Tiny Tim from that film. Um, But he goes, he goes, God blesses everyone. (laughs) Oh, is that where that's from? I did watch Spirited quite uh, the other day, which is the new Apple um, film. Oh, yeah. And I quite enjoyed that. I wouldn't say it was the best best version, but it's a good new version. So if you're short of something to watch, give that a go. Yeah, I have to say that the most terrible version has to be the, the Disney 2009 version with Jim Carrey in. Oh, the animated one. Yeah, they went mad with the 3D stuff, didn't they? Yeah, it's just incredibly boring. Um, Is there a way I can describe it? Um, It feels like, if you watch it, it feels like they animated something and then kind of sat back and just went, oh, look at how good this animation is. (laughs) (laughs) But the animation wasn't great either, which really cemented (laughs) it as not not a very good film. Um, No, it's not not great. It's not great. I'd have to say that's my least favourite. But yeah, also though, what about Scrooged by, you know, as Bill Murray in? What about that one? Yeah, I've... I love Bill Murray. He, he's he's one of my sort of 
he's up there on my favorite actors. He's, he, I, everything he's in, I love. I don't think that was one of his strongest performances. Somehow, I, maybe it was just the setting. Maybe maybe I've seen the story too many times. Uh, it's it's not one of my favorites. It's watchable, but I haven't gone out of my way to watch it this year. I don't think it's actually been on yet because I've got it on record or on my wish list, but it's not actually come up yet. So um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be on Christmas Eve or something like that. Maybe. No, I, I to be honest, I'd, I'd never watch TV. It's just whatever I've I've either got on Blu-ray, DVD, or whatever I can find on streaming services. Uh, yeah, and you're right. I don't think it's it's on any streaming services at the moment. I'm not even sure which network it would appear on. Does it feel like to you this year? It's like all the good um, programs that are normally on TV are not on TV, and they're also not on streaming for some reason. I, to be honest, it's I, I don't watch TV anymore. I just I just don't. If if it's if it's on TV, I'll wait for it to be on a streaming service. Um, so I, it's hard for me to judge. Um, I, I, I'm struggling with stuff on streaming services because I've watched it all now. I think the pandemic basically wiped out my uh, my catalogue and, and all the popular streaming services we use, and there's very little left. So I, I'd say that the wife and I are struggling more now than we, we have done ever before. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to buy anything on Prime just because I'm too, you know... I'd rather save my money for theme parks than than actually spend on media. So I'll just rewatch old films, which is exactly why we were watching The Muppets Christmas Carol the other night, actually, because we weren't going to spend money on anything else. Hmm. Yeah, well, we've got. I think we've got pretty much all the streaming services now. Um, well, apart from Apple, because I'm not sure I see the point in Apple TV, but. Yeah, I think I think we we got it because it was free with some device that we bought, and then I just failed to cancel it. That's how they get you, though. That's how they get you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they played on my laziness. Okay, so um, best Scrooge we're saying is Muppets Christmas Carol. Best Christmas film slash Christmas programming. What would you say? Um, I, that's 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 a, a question that. Up for debate, isn't it? Um, and everyone goes Die Hard. I'm quite into the animated stuff, like the the old like Christmas specials for The Simpsons and stuff like that, like stuff that brings back a few memories, uh, like the one where Bart uh, uses a fire truck and electrifies the the Christmas tree and melts it all into a puddle and buries it in the front garden. That's that's a good Christmas bit of programming, right there. That's a good Christmas um, tradition. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. What, what would you say? What would what would you uh, throw in as your your favourite content <sighs> at Christmas? I, do you know? What? I think it's World's Strongest Man. I think <laughs> nothing nothing tells you it's Christmas than some really really big strong men carrying heavy things around. I would say. <laughs> wow, I've I've no idea how to respond to that. To be honest, <laughs> it's great. Do you not watch the World's Strongest Man? It's not that something that you watch. No, I can I can truthfully say that this isn't something I've I've ever acknowledged. But again, I don't watch TV, do I? So, I which channel is this on? Um, it's on channel five now. So that's normally you you can put it on your on your record list. I think it's on a on a Sunday usually. I guess. 
And do, do, is, is there any festive connection there at all, or is it just it's always on at this time of year? I, I'm, I'm not getting the connection. <laughs> so <laughs> it's so I guess it's a kind of festive slash New Year tradition to have the world's strongest man over Christmas, and I think the final is usually on Boxing Day, maybe or New Year's Day. Maybe it's Boxing Day. Um, mm. But the, the thing is about it is that back in the day before we had the the interwebs the thing is with the world's strongest man is it's actually filmed it actually happens in the summer it happens in like june or something <laughs> so it doesn't actually happen over christmas so the world's strongest man has already been the world's strongest man for like half of the year already by the time you actually see it on television <laughs> so is this whole christmas tradition just is the most mad mad christmas tree. i've never heard of this before is this just you is this is this a thing no this is this is a legit christmas tradition is the old world's strongest man it definitely is i can't believe you don't watch it like i used to i used to love it like watching when there was one where you know they're like pulling they want to pull like a train or like a truck or something and then you know it's it's good it's it's all the good stuff. this is like one of those traditions where unless you you, you are aware of it and in the circle it completely makes no sense. Like where in Japan, they're obsessed with KFC around Christmas. Yeah, what's that about? Um, I don't understand. What's that all about, the KFC? No one does. It, it's <laughs> Unless you're Japanese, no one gets it. Uh, this this sounds like one of those things. Yeah, and have you heard about, there's a tradition in Germany where they watch this like silent British film about some posh people and a, and a butler or something. <laughs> No. <laughs> Google it. Google Google German Christmas tradition TV program. And I don't know why, but apparently it's like a Christmas Eve tradition or something to watch this weird old British program that we don't even watch over here because I can't remember what it is. But it's I don't know. But apparently it's this German institution to to watch <laughs> to watch this program. How weird! But, oh, it's a wonderful life. I should have said it's a wonderful life. Uh, it's an amazing Christmas tradition slash film. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't rate it. Oh, you're heartless. That's the that's the problem. There. Have you been watching uh, Rick and Morty? Have you been watching the new? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love Rick and Morty. I like it when they did. Um, he had the, Jerry had the extended cut of um, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, <laughs> and it's just the guy going, "Oh, look at over there on Thirty Fifth Street. There's some things happening over there." <laughs> <laughs> it's just two hours of him going, "Oh, and there's also something magical. I'm now on Forty Second Street." <laughs> It's it's all about the repeat value with with Rick and Morty. Gotta gotta love those episodes. Um, cool. I I feel like we need to talk about something theme park related. Yeah, I suppose. I just wanted to interject something. I mean, this this is a Christmas special after all, <laughs> so I felt like we needed to interject something that just was nothing to do with that. This this has become two lads talking about Christmas banter. Christmas bands. I'll have to edit it down, but you never know. People won't know that, so it's all good. <laughs> right. Um, so the first thing I wanted to cover then is, so we've both been to uh, to Florida. Did you go? You you've been at Christmas to Florida as well, haven't you? No, that's the thing. Oh. I've never been at Christmas. I've always just been um, late, sort of late fall, just before Christmas kicks in. So I've always missed the Christmas. Um, 
stuff in Florida. All right. So have, have you been? Have you been during the the festive time period? Yeah. So last time we went, it was for for Christmas. Um, but this time we're going for Halloween instead, although September, but Halloween. So yeah. I, I was just thinking, you know, are we in America? Obviously, well, in Florida at least, you know, they make a big deal about Christmas, and we we have you know a lot of decorations, and it's all very festive and gigantic trees and things like that, and lots of festive meets and greets and things. Do we think in the UK do we do we miss a trick around Christmas? Because I feel like you know Alton Towers sometimes have a bit of an event, which seems to be getting you know, more interesting, but it still feels like, you know, still quite a small scale event and some other parks kind of try and do their own thing around Christmas. Do we think, you know, we're missing a, missing a trick maybe? Yeah. I I think we, we tend to be a decade or two behind like America on stuff like this. I think we are getting better at seasonal events and starting to get a little bit more of that seasonal hype going on. But it's the same with Halloween. They're absolutely mad for it. They've always got loads of stuff to do to see. And we're beginning to get like some of that in this country. And it's great to see. And I'm sure our theme parks are beginning to catch up. Alton Towers is probably one of the better parks for seasonal events, as far as I can tell. But yeah, we're, we're massively missing a trick. And I think it's going to take a little while to get anywhere close to what the American parks are. I guess it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um I'm, and the weather doesn't how help, much does it you know <laughs> the weather doesn't help and also in in this country as well i'm not sure if it's a factor but like if you go to um, you know overseas particularly america they don't have loads of history they don't have actual castles they don't have um you know in orlando they'll they'll never have snow we've got some amazing historic buildings so we have certain things that they don't have and we can experience certain things that they can't experience and a lot of that's re- really like seasonal stuff like you can go to a to an amazing decked out castle at halloween it, it can be a really cool cool event that's that's quite niche and it, it's something in this country that they will that they'll never be able to really replicate so maybe that's why we're not as as highly strung on, on getting these events just in theme parks because we have other ways to experience this this kind of this kind of uh, these these kind of seasonal events that are, are, are a bit more unique to Europe. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and, and and in a way though, that that kind of means that we already have existing infrastructure in the UK that can be used, you know, and fashioned into attractions. Where whereas in the US, sometimes they have to kind of build things from from scratch. You know, if you wanted a kind of spooky castle, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to build one, aren't you? Whereas um, you only need to walk down the street to find a spooky castle around here. Um, so... <laughs> We've got too many. We can't even keep the ones we we have like from falling to bits. I know, I know, and uh, but yeah, no, so I, so I think it, it's a bit of a funny one. I am seeing more and more Christmas events now, like family events, where you know you'll go and see some reindeer, and you'll go through like a bit of a festive maze, and you can meet some elves and things. But um, but when it comes to kind of like thrill attractions and things like that, we don't really we don't really have it, do we? Uh, other than these mm. kind of scare mazes that are starting to to pop up and hopefully we'll see more of that but i do it'd be good if theme parks could kind of up their game a little bit but the problem is you just never know what the weather's going to do you know over the last week or so in the uk we've had 
it's going to be up to like minus 10 degrees in some parts of the country. And um, you obviously can't run, you know, rides really at that kind of temperature. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess, I guess the other thing as well is, is a lot of these seasonal events are about iconic characters and it, you know, there are, there are interesting characters that are, are very British, but it's, it's hard to compete against, Mickey Mouse and you know Universal have a whole catalog of of uh, cinematic characters to 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 draw on. So I get I guess to some extent it's it's harder to to go toe to toe with that kind of that kind of competition. Um, mm, I guess so. And, and you never know though. We might start to see the Postman Pat cinematic universe. Maybe I mean. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite sure that's as strong a basis to start an experience on as like Marvel. Well, we could have, you know, who who knows? We could have a Jess the Cat origin movie, maybe. Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse isn't part. Is he part of the Postman Pat universe? Maybe I don't know. It could be. Well, it's just, it's just old and British, isn't it? (laughs) It's got, it's got good, good memories. What about Banana Man? The Banana Man universe, maybe. Wow. Yeah. And also, we have had a Mister Blobby land. I think we've had a couple. I think maybe. Um, (laughs) Why? uh, (laughs) There was one down south, and then I think they did. They sort of started doing it in in Morecambe, but I think it closed after like a couple of weeks or something. Um, hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I suppose we do have some kind of weird characters, don't we? In in the UK. Who do you think scones are with the strongest man then? I don't know. After waiting after tea. No, we got presents after that. I'm back here. Um, I'm so sorry that it's taken me a so long to get back with you guys on the podcast. It's fantastic to be back here. Uh, but it's actually been, I think, about a year since we've last done this. Um, but I was at a, I was at a work dinner. You know, but this time of year, you can't get out of those work streets. Those work dinners. Okay. All right. So um, let's talk a bit about some of the some of the big news that's come out in twenty twenty two. And I've I've just been you know I've been out of the loop a little bit, as you've probably noticed um, if you're listening to this podcast. I think we've I think we put out six episodes this year, <laughs> and I think they've all been at the beginning of the year. I think the last episode was in May, and I've been a little bit out of the loop. Um, but obviously we're. We're trying to record another episode now, and hopefully we'll record some more in the new year as well. However, there are some big ticket news items and things that we've had a a little chat about as the year has uh, progressed. And I think probably, probably for us, maybe for us in particular, probably the biggest news of the year has been the the ousting of uh, Mr. Bob Chapek over there at the old uh, Disney. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that Bob Iger, um, who's coming back, is a bit more of a, a fan favourite. Um, 
I think everyone is waiting with bated breath as to whether that means we're going to see some positive changes uh, at Disney, because I think it's fair to say that things have been not looking right. too great. Uh, <laughs> however, interestingly, the, the theme parks are performing very well. Um, however, from a that's from a financial perspective, but I think from a fan perspective, things haven't been going so well. But, yeah. but it was actually Disney Plus that ended up um, uh, contributing to Chapek losing his job because of the massive losses that they've been making on the streaming side of things, which links into what we were talking about earlier. So it all goes full circle, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what's your what's your reaction to to this news? Yeah, the old Bob versus Bob debate. Um, I'm I'm a bit mixed about it all, to be honest. So. Bob Iger, like, I think he made a lot of, of positive steps. And I think, like, he, he made some interesting gambles and they they paid off. So uh, buying Star Wars, uh, Lucasfilm and, and buying uh, Marvel Studios, I think obviously those those purchases worked out quite well for, for, for Disney. Um. But he made some interesting decisions, particularly at the sort of latter half of his his career at Disney. So he, he made that uh, basketball um, thing. It, it um, I can't. It, it was like um, um, I'm struggling it, to remember the, what, what... the NBA experience. Yeah, the NBA experience. Yeah. And like, I just I, I don't understand what that was about. That was clearly not going to be a successful experience with anyone other than the domestic audience. And I felt that was a, a really weird thing to do. And there were, there were quite a lot of decisions along those lines, which didn't really gel with me. Uh, and some of the stuff they did to the Star Wars land um, and the Star Wars hotel, I didn't really agree with. And then obviously Chapek took over. And I think he 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 got landed with the worst possible scenario. What with 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 COVID kicking off just as he he'd begun to uh, to, to to do his job, and I th- he had to make unpopular decisions. Some of the some of the things he he did and, and never undid are, are bad. So like he obviously he, he got rid of a lot of staff members and then didn't didn't rehire a lot of them. Uh, and left a lot of the experiences kneecapped, which I don't really agree with. He increased prices exponentially, which I really don't agree with. He, he removed a lot of the incentives to go to the parks, all of which I didn't agree with. And had they been temporary steps and been brought back, I could I could have somewhat understood, but that doesn't appear to have been the case. Um, and then and then obviously all the fast pass changes um, were were under his 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 tenure as well. So all of these things are really bad. Um, and then Bob's coming back or Bob Iger's coming back. But any any change he makes now, it's going to take, you know, a year for rollout on big decisions from him coming back to, to actual changes being made. So I'm not expecting anything immediate. And so, some of the decisions that were made under JPEG were probably actually decided under Iger in the first place. And it's, it's quite hard to differentiate between the two from, from the outside. Yeah. Uh, What are your thoughts? I suppose it's a difference between decisions versus implementation. Um, So I was thinking about this earlier that, yeah, one of the most unpopular things that have probably happened um, has been Genie Plus. 
although in theory, it, I think the problem is is that um, in theory it's not a bad idea because it was becoming completely mad. You know, you were having to wake up at six o'clock in the morning to you know six months in advance to to book your ride on <laughs> Big Thunder Mountain or something, which is completely mad. But I get that some people enjoy doing that. It's kind of part of the fun. It's part of your planning. But if you are out of the loop and you're not reading all the forums and you're not like on it, I can understand it. It'd be really frustrating that you can only get, you know, some some rubbish rides or something <laughs> on the fast tracks. You can't you can't get the big rides anymore. Um, so I kind of understand that. However, the kind of way that it's been implemented, it, it looks like quite an obvious cash grab. Uh, so if they'd have implemented it in a way where it was more about the customer experience and they were kind of selling the benefits a bit more, I think people would be more on board with it, but it's just really obvious that they're just trying to make money out of people. And I think that's what upsets people. So I think Bob Iger, maybe Genie Plus, mm, not a great idea. However, Bob Chapek, uh, implemented it in probably the worst possible way, is <laughs> and I think that's just cemented <laughs> cemented that people really don't like Genie Plus. Yeah, I think for me the the biggest thing, other than the cost of Genie Plus, which is pretty significant, you know, if you look day on day, if you're there for a couple of weeks and you've got a family, you know, it's it, it immediately massively increases the cost, but it, it's also the confusion of the service. So they've got different different fastpass systems at different price tiers. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's confusing and I, to go from a really smooth system in the past where you'd, you'd turn up and you'd be able to book, you know, uh, a, a few things without additional cost. And then once you'd done them, you could book a few more things. It was a really simple, fair system that everyone got. Um, I understand that fast pass systems are used everywhere now. You know, every park has, has a system. And sometimes it's really good. You might only be there for a couple of days and being able to get all the big rides done is is a really, you know, good upsell for, for some people. But I think having an experience which is really family oriented, really friendly, which is what Disney is supposed to be catering for and confusing fast pass systems, that's really dangerous because for for a lot of for a lot of families having having unknowns and having confusion whilst they're on holiday is you know it, it's a, it's it's a, a big deterrent i would i would much rather go uh, go somewhere and have a really smooth experience and i think the, this fast pass system has come in at the worst possible time where universal actually is beginning to be quite a good competitor to disney in a lot of ways uh, maybe not for younger families, but certainly for for people with you know teenagers or older families, um, to the point that when when we were looking at Disney, we, we did stop and consider some of the Universal hotels instead, and look at what they had. And it wasn't just the the fast pass system, although that was a a part of uh, of it. It was all the other you know the the all the other things that used to be given as part of a Disney holiday that that were no longer offered. Uh, like Disney dining was a, was a big one. And some of those benefits, not all of them, but some of them seem to still be intact on the universal uh, side of things. Um, I, what, are, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, I think for a UK guest, I think the the attraction of staying at Disney has waned somewhat because the offer just isn't there anymore. Um, 
you've not got the free transport anymore. Um, the the hotels just seem to be getting more and more incredibly expensive um, and don't really seem to be... Well, they, they seem to be getting... The, so the hotels seem to be getting more expensive and, and they're sort of getting renovated, but they're kind of getting renovated in a way that they kind of look like a kind of normal kind of corporate hotel, I guess. So you kind of looking at and and you can't look at the hotel and go, oh, that, that, look at that theme. It's like, oh, it's it's got some slightly blue bedding and and a small picture of Donald Duck for some reason over there. And so you can't even look at the rooms and go, oh, the rooms are really good. So it's definitely worth paying three hundred pounds a night, for example. And then you're looking at um, you're looking at then at the moment you have to kind of book. You have to book in advance which park you're going to be going to. I don't. I, I presume that Bob Iger will probably get rid of that because it makes park hopping harder at the moment. Big one though for UK guests is that there's no free dining anymore, which I think was a big one um, and a big attraction for UK guests. I'd love to see the figures, but I I, I presume that guests from the UK to staying at Disney must be must be down big time. Um, yeah, and and I think if you look at what all the changes they're making, uh, step back a little bit and sort of have have an overview. It, it seems to me that the new emphasis um, has been on the domestic audience because Disney Plus or Disney Genie Plus, whatever whatever it's called, makes more sense if you've got people from America who are just staying in the park for a few days. You know, escalated uh, prices for hotels make more sense if you're just going to stay there for a few days. So, all of all of these changes impact domestic guests a lot less than it would, you know, someone from the UK who's coming for a couple of weeks who used to have dining covered and uh, a reasonably priced, you know, holiday package and free parking and all all of that malarkey. Um, I, I do think that they've changed direction. And whether that that started under Iger, um, or or whether that was you know late later in the day under, uh, um, I've forgotten his name, under uh, new CEO, you know I, I I'm I'm not sure, and it, I, I guess it, it 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 could have it could have been a decision made five years ago for all I know it could have been ages ago, but it it seems to me that that Disney have changed their their core sort of target market. Um, and I, I would be really interested to see if that begins to change. Maybe, maybe it was, again, it, it maybe it was a COVID thing. Maybe they couldn't get international guests, so they decided to look at the, the domestic audience. But I, so something changed. Uh, I think it's it, it still appears to to be focused primarily on these these American customers. So. Yeah, and and I guess you know you could you could argue that they are making Disneyland Paris um, a much more attractive proposition these days. Um, they're going to be renovating the the Disney Village. Um, we're going to have the frozen part of the park and and some other bits added. I think the Star Star Wars area has been cancelled now. I think, but I, I I don't think that's because there wouldn't have necessarily been. There's not necessarily a demand to expand the Studio Park even further. I think it's more that I don't think the galaxy's edge in the other parks in the u.s have been necessarily overwhelmingly well received 
So I think they're probably rethinking that at the moment at Disneyland Paris and thinking, well, we're going to build a frozen area, then what's next? You know, so I'd be interested to see what replaces Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland Paris, uh, because presumably something will, because they've got the land earmarked already. So They should just make Tatooine. Tatooine would have been a much better idea. Um, yeah, well, but yeah. What was the re- what was the reason that they decided to? Uh, I think we've we've talked about this before, haven't we? Where surely the target market is people like us who are relatively young, but you know, will have kids. Like we're old enough to have young kids, but we're kind of the target market for the kind of nostalgia, you know, side of it. So if you said to me oh, yeah, we're going to Tatooine and you're going to see the things that you're familiar with from the films, then that makes sense to me. But if you're saying, oh, it's Star Wars, but it's new Star Wars and things that you don't really know about, then I'm thinking, well, what? why am I going there? <laughs> what, what am I paying for? I don't understand what I'm paying for. Um, yeah, I think I think it was trying to have the best of both worlds, wasn't it? It was trying to appeal to to the the, the classic sort of Star Wars guys by having a land which looks a lot like Tatooine while simultaneously tying it into the new films. I think it was the first film that had just come out when they were starting to plan the uh, the Galaxy's Edge land. Um, so I think, I think they were trying to have the cake and eat it, basically, but I, I don't think it necessarily works out. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't know what was, I, I still had the idea that they were, they were going to build it in France. So is that, is that definitely not happening? Yeah. I think on the latest plans, it's, it's not there. And I, I think I've read that it's kind of officially been, been shelved. So, um, because there was already, there was already talk that if they built it, it wouldn't include Rise of the Resistance. And so they're probably looking at that and, and probably looking at the way that crowds flow in America, I'm probably thinking actually, Rise of Resistance. Even if we build it, it's not that reliable. <laughs> so, are we just creating another problem for ourselves? Maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll have to see. But I mean, there's a lot of land. Um, people don't realize that there's so much land at Disneyland Paris. Like, it's it's obviously a lot smaller than than Disney World, but it's a lot bigger than Disneyland. Um, I think yeah. I think I did an article on it, um, but it's basically three. It's at least sort of three to four times the size of Disneyland. You know, the land that they have there in California. So you know, there's a lot of potential there. But still, that being said, um, you wouldn't go there for two weeks, would you? <laughs> <laughs> you'd you'd no. go there for a few days. So when when we went to um, Florida in 2019, it was before Rise of the Resistance had opened. So there was just Smuggler's Run um, and that the, the lightsaber experience and and the restaurants and stuff. Uh, and it definitely wasn't complete. So if they were going to build the one in France without without um, you know the core experience, the the Rise of the Resistance, I could absolutely see why they'd they'd can that one. Um, but yeah, interesting to see what they do with the space, though. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of different options. Um, I, I have well, it'd be good if Disneyland Paris could get its own original land because um, Frozen is gonna is is coming to Hong Kong first, and then it's coming to Disneyland Paris. Um, so it'd be good if if we could have something which was unique, Disneyland, Disneyland Paris. Um, 
Uh, mm. I think uh, there's a park that has a Beauty and the Beast area. Is that is that oh, that's a um, one over in Asia? I'm just trying. I can't remember which park it is, but I mean that would be really good for Disneyland Press. But again, it's not original and it's it's kind of France related, and I kind of I, I feel a bit weird having France related things in in France. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that the the original problem? They were, they were going to use the Beauty and the Beast castle for the for the castle at the heart of the the French uh, theme park, but they decided against it because that was based on a castle in France in the first place. And it wasn't even very far away from from the theme park, so it seemed pointless to build a pretend castle of a real castle that's just up the road. So yeah, yeah, and and that's that's the thing. Like it has to look, it has to look um, different to what what you're gonna see. Like you know, if they built, can you imagine if they built Disney Disneyland UK? They, they're gonna have to build like a castle that looks like Noah's a castle in the UK. And it's probably a hard ask because they'd have to build, they'd have to build like a castle that you'd see, you know, in, in like Romania or, you know, Bavaria and, you know, those types of yeah. castles that we don't have, you know, we don't have that romantic Gothic style, do we, in the UK. So. Yeah. It, it's problematic because for the last, what, thousand years, all the English and French have done is built castles and, and, and had a, a really good fight, um, so yeah, it's I, I guess coming in with an idea to build anything castle related is going to be a, a hard sell. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm a little yeah. I'm, I've I've been interested to see what they do with the space. I don't I don't think there's there's not a lot of French themed films really in that whole Disney Pixar line. There's there's Ratatouille, but they already have the Ratatouille ride. I think it started there, didn't it? And then it went to uh to uh to florida later um are there any other french ips they could play on <sighs> i mean you you've, you've got obviously beauty and the beast obviously beauty and the beast is probably the biggest one i mean you'd have um you know the hunchback of notre dame i guess oh yeah um, that would be a good one that would be really they could they could build a mini notre dame that'd be cool yeah yeah they could do they could do um I, I don't know. I, I think I think it'd be good if they go for something. Um, I think actually what would be good is if they could relocate some of the Toy Story related rides and maybe build something a bit more, a bit a bigger Toy Story uh, land area. I think that'd be pretty good. Uh, but again, that's not going to be unique to, to Disneyland Paris. Um I don't know. It's a strange one. I mean, we've got the films now. I wonder if they. I wonder if there's, um, you know, a more modern film. I think there was some talk about using the IP for, um, what's that film where they're all emotions? <laughs> oh, um, oh, I know what you mean. Uh, core memories and yeah. Yeah, um, I think Inside Out. Inside Out. Yeah, I think there's been some talk about maybe using that, but it's whether whether that's big enough or not. You know, what's going to be a game changer for Disney though? Um, back in Florida, it's going to be the Epic Universe because they've got some massive IPs that they can yeah. they can use in that park. And this is the thing, you know, the answer in Florida that they're getting to a point where. I understand that they're saying, well, if we charge people more, less people are going to come, therefore we can control the crowds. But actually what you're doing is you're kind of alienating 
a whole generation from being able to go, which then that they don't become loyal customers in the future because it's not accessible to them. It's kind of like how, you know, um, think about any kind of luxury product um, that, that normal families can't attain. attain. It, it becomes, you know, niche. Um, it becomes, you know, in its own bubble uh, that people understand. But, the, you know, the, the kind of normal families, they, they don't relate to it. And, and there is a risk that Disney is going to become unrelatable to uh, families. Yeah. All, yeah. Also, you get that, you know, they want to use that pester power, um, don't they? But it's going to become, it could get to a point, it could get to a point where if the parks are so unattainable, maybe adults, you know, ultimately adults make decisions around, um, you know, here's this film, here's this product, this is Disney related thing, or I'll make your bedroom Disney related. I'll buy you a Mickey mouse for your birthday. Well, if the adults start to think, actually, I don't want to get my kids into this because if they do, they're going to be upset when we can't actually go to the parks. And so the adults will stop buying things. And in, in the end, you know, so you might make a bit of money at the moment, but in 20 years time, you won't have built up that, that core following. You won't have those memories anymore. You know, at the moment you've got people in the, you know, forties who, who will go there and they'll say, Oh, you know, I used to come here with my parents in the seventies, you know, and we used to stay at the campground and, you know, they have all those memories and that's why they go back. If we don't have that anymore, then <laughs> nobody's going to be going yeah. anymore because the people who can afford it are going to be too old and the people who have got children can't afford it. And then therefore the children don't remember going and having a great time and they don't go anymore. They don't take their kids. So the cycle is, is broken. So something, has to give at some point. They have to appreciate it from a customer experience perspective, not just about making money from people, surely. I think it's it's a really interesting point, actually. And, and my wife and I were, were basically saying very, very similar things about the closing of all the Disney stores in the UK and about what impact that will have. Because when whenever we used to go to our local shopping mall, uh, we always used to walk past a Disney store, and my son would always be like, oh, "Can we go in there? I want, you know, I want to have a look at the toys." Uh, and now, obviously, he doesn't. He doesn't see a store. There's, there's no Disney merchandise. Um, so instead of every you know every few weeks getting this experience and getting this branding and going in and having this lovely experience, that's no longer happening. And he used to go into the store and say, "Oh, can we go back to the park? Can we go back to to, to Disney?" Um, because he, he, he remembered it and it sort of forced him to, to remember these, these great family experiences, but now that's gone. So it, it, it sort of harks back to, I think it harks back to our early conversation about, about JPEG actually, because I, I think this is probably under, under, you know, his, his, his initiatives. He, these stores were closed down because obviously they weren't making much money. But the long-term consequences, the brand damage being done to to children, uh, not you know not not being as familiar with the brands and not not having these fond memories to fall back on, that potentially could have a massive impact in in a couple of decades. So you're right, and I'm I'm really interested to see what happens, uh, especially you know combined with the pricing uh, escalating that they're feeding off a uh, off off people who were in the 70s and 80s who were brought up with with limited VHSs and everyone had some Disney VHSs 
on rainy Sundays, we all watched Disney, you know, Disney cartoons. That's no longer the case. You know, we, we've got a world of media at our fingertips. Kids are watching YouTube now. It, it's going to be interesting. Um, it, it could it could be the start of a very long term decline. And all of these things might not impact Universal. So, yeah, it's, it's a good point. So moving a bit closer to home, over at Blackpool Pleasure Beach, we were promised that Valhalla would be reopening in 2022. Um, that hasn't happened. Um, they've received a bit of... They've got a few days. It could happen. <laughs> well, they've received a little bit of stick around the marketing of Valhalla. They've been... I think they had some... Uh, sexy vikings didn't the advertising as brett called them he called them sexy vikings and um, yeah so we're not seeing valhalla it looks like there's been some issues um amanda who's one of the owners of the the park who's part of the the thompson family who have owned the park um you know for for a long time she didn't seem totally in the loop about what was happening with Valhalla and sort of had some comments about it, which I can understand because she she can't possibly control everything. And, and Nick, her brother, I think he runs, um, you know, a lot of the park as well. Um, and there's obviously other directors and, and, and um, people of interest who, who run parts of the business so she, i guess she can't possibly see everything but still do we think um when we're talking about reputational damage for for disney do we think blackpool pleasure beach failing to open valhalla has that has that delivered some reputational damage for blackpool pleasure beach do we think yeah maybe it's it, it's it's funny as blackpool because I, I love going there but it's it's definitely it needs a bit of TLC in, in areas, and I, I think where Valhalla is located, it's it's quite far away from the rest of you know the the, the top line rides and experiences. It's sort of in a little corner, isolated by itself, and that whole bit of the park just feels a bit a bit left out. Um, so. I, I'm I'm not sure if I'd say it's a long term if it's if it's creating long term brand damage, but it's definitely a really good reason to go to the park because it was such an excellent ride, wasn't it? I, it's hard for me to remember now because I've only been on it once because it was you know it's been closed for years. Yeah, um, I mean it's been consistently voted as you know one of the best dark rides in in the world. Um, certainly, water dark rides anyway. Um, so for that ride not to be open is is quite a big problem i think um it'd probably be a bigger problem if the big one was closed for an entire well it's been closed for longer than a year you know a couple of years now um but still i think it's a big problem for a park to have one of their marquee attractions closed i mean blackpool pleasure beach if we think about it um you know the big one and valhalla were probably the big two you know rides there that people talk about um i think probably because icon has you know only been open for a few years um there's still a lot of interest around around icon and so that kind of saves face a little bit but yeah i think it is a problem uh for blackpool and and they're going to have to get it open for the start of next year because th- there'll be people putting off trips <laughs> because they'll be saying, well, I'm not going to go until they mm. open Valhalla. And that's obviously going to hurt the bottom line, uh, you know, potentially. 
So they're going to have to try and get on it. I heard that it, it it was it was unreliable. It was hard to maintain because of all the special effects they had. They've had like a lot of fire special effects and um, and what have you. When it when it reopens, will all of the things that made it this iconic dark ride will all of those things return, or are they going to try and make it a little bit lower in sort of terms of maintenance costs and what have you? Do, do we know anything? Yeah, no, I I think it'll be as good, if not better, because I think technology has has moved on. Um, it was it was built in a kind of weird way because you know the track was built by Intamin, but it's not an Intamin ride. You know they they brought carpenters over from you know Norway to to build you know the entrance and um, you know to carve out the station and and things and. They they brought Hollywood special effect experts over, you know, in practical effects. But I think we've kind of moved on from needing to have high maintenance practical effects. I think you can have similar effects now with probably cheaper uh, alternatives that probably actually look better as well. You know, I, I'd hate to think that they just cover the whole thing in projection mapping. Um, but I think there's a bit of a middle ground there between something being impressive, but also not having to rely on the number of special effects. But I still hope they have the the, the snow, you know, the snow room. You know, that was really impressive. Um, I hope they still have some of the explosions at, at the end. They're going to have to sort out the water vortex tunnel because that was a complete nightmare. Um, that just used to drench you, really, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I remember yeah. getting off it and being absolutely sodden. Yeah, uh, that's, that's yeah, that, yeah. yeah. I, I I was hoping that they were going to replace the boats because there's a real big drainage problem with the boats, um, and I don't know if that's been addressed or not. I guess if there's going to be less water going into the boats, and I suppose it's not as big of an issue. But they have to use like um, hoovers to hoover up all the water at the end, and I've I've never known any ride to have to do that. Because <laughs> uh, well, mo- most water rides that get that wet will have an end section where you'll go up a bit of a lift hill, and there'll be a, a like a tap at the at the end of the at the end of the boat, and all the water will just kind of rush out. But for some reason, they never did that with Valhalla. They just said, oh, well, we'll see what happens. So they have to hoover all the water, but it's a complete nightmare. And I've been on Valhalla sometimes where the water is, you know, at your knees. And it was it was getting wow. dicey. We're like, mm, this is <laughs> this is getting a bit dicey now. And it has it has the boats have sunk, you know, a couple of times. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The, I didn't know. Yeah, they've sunk a couple of times, but um, it you know it's not particularly dangerous. You're not going to drown because it's on a track. Well, yeah, it's on track. Yeah, but it's obviously not. <laughs> it's not ideal getting completely covered <laughs> in water. Um, so you, well, it's, yeah. a, it's a good good story to tell, isn't it? On Valhalla, boat sank. Yeah, <laughs> the boat sank. Yeah. No, definitely. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, let, let's hope. I, you know, I really like Blackpool Pleasure Reach. I'm, I'm sure that I'll be there again next year. I'm not a season ticket holder uh, next year, um, but I'm sure I'll be there a few times. One thing that's worth mentioning at the moment, though, is that uh, I don't think a lot of people realise, but the um, the illuminations are on over Christmas, 
Um, so yeah, so if if you're listening to this um, uh, over the Christmas week, uh, then um, they are they are going to be on. But just check the Blackpool one one of the Blackpool Illumination websites, and they'll tell you what time they're on. Because they used to end the first week of November. Because that's what we used to always go for the last day of Pleasure Beach. And that normally on the Sunday, the lights would turn off. But for the last couple of years now, they've actually kept them on over January. And I think that's partly because the they obviously use LEDs and things like that now. You know, it's smarter and, and cheaper. Um, you know, I I remember, you know, you know, when I used to go when I was a child, there used to be these big, heavy, hot bulbs, you know, that you used to see. And, um, you know, it's not like that anymore. And also, you know, by the time you got about a month into the illuminations, half of them weren't working anymore <laughs> because, you know, it's on the seafront and they get wet and, you know, it's... electricity lights and, and the sea just don't really mix, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, sea salt and, uh, and electricity aren't, aren't winners, are they? And like... Uh... The old, the old um, bulbs, what they're called, the neon bulbs, the classic neon bulbs. Um, they, I mean, they, they were quite reliable, but they were really expensive to run. I think this year as well, they got some arts council money, didn't they? Uh, so maybe, maybe they've got a little bit more money in the pot than they they used to have. Yeah, yeah, they they have they, they've definitely um, got some extra money. So that's that's been good. Blackpool's looking great at the moment. Oh, and it's uh, and Sam has decided to join us now. Um, how are you doing, Sam? Hello, hello. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm here. Um, I'm so sorry that it's taken me a so long to get back with you guys on the podcast. It's fantastic to be back here. Uh, but it's literally been, I think, about a year since we've last done this. Um, but I was at a, I, I was at a works dinner. You know, but this time of year. You can't get out of those work drinks, those work dinners, even when you have to kind of do them. Uh, so I did want to be here from the beginning, but here we go. I'm late to the party, but, you know, at least I'm here. That's the main thing. I've shown up. Yeah, there we go. Oh, well, thanks for joining us, Sam. So this, this is our Christmas episode, Christmas 2022. So I've asked, I asked earlier, Dan, what his favourite mm. Scrooge was. So we want to know what your favourite Scrooge is, please. I mean, that's it's easy for me. Uh, the Grinch, right? Not only is the Grinch like the ultimate Christmas like character of all time, and arguably one of the best Christmas films ever created, um, but he is just miserable, but just so wonderfully miserable as well. Like he's not like mean either. Like he's mean, but he's got a heart of gold. Um, so I, yeah, the, the the Grinch wins every single time. I'd literally challenge someone to find a better Christmas film. <laughs> Sam's gone with a wild card. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. That is a wild card, yeah. Well, talking about Grinches, 
What do you think about Bob Chapek leaving <laughs> Disney? <laughs> <laughs> um, my two cents on Chapek. Uh, kind of two words, really. Good riddance, right? Um, harsh and strong. But, you know, I think ultimately it was the time for him to go. I think he was, he was bringing the company down. Um, however... I do kind of, I am going to put this out there because because I, I am a person that um, gravitates towards who people are as individuals and as humans, okay? And I kind of feel with Chapek, he, no matter what he did or what he could have done, people were never going to like his next move because he was branded as, you know, Chapek, right? Um, and... I understand people have their individual reasons why they don't like him. People don't like the changes that he made, whatever. But once he kind of got tarnished as, you know, the bad Bob or, you know, Chapek or whatever, he couldn't, he couldn't do anything. And it was that any tiny thing he did, regardless of how good or bad that could have been in whoever's eyes, it was always a bad move. He couldn't win. It was impossible for him to, um, if I guarantee you, if, uh, um, if uh, Josh um, had done any of the things that Chapek had, um, it wouldn't have got the same uh, remarks, you know, right? Uh, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have the same um, have the same consequence. But it's because Chapek is Chapek that it that it had that it had that that consequence. So I do kind of feel for him, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we we we. Do, do you think? That oh, the, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say. Do you do you think the the timing? So JPEG being, you know, brought in when when COVID was just beginning to spread probably didn't help his reputation really from the off. Yeah, yeah. I think you know the guy. The guy had a bad. He had a bad go at it. You know what I mean? He took over the company at one of the hardest times. Um, when everyone was struggling, especially when, you know, when, when uh, theme parks were struggling, I guess, from our point of view, but in general, businesses were struggling and he took on a massive undertaking, the biggest, arguably, uh, the biggest media company in the world, definitely one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world. That was a huge undertaking. And also Disney is one of those companies where, because it is so loved, there's a lot of weight that it holds. Um because people love it so much and therefore there's a lot at stake with every single decision that you make. Um, I mean, you could argue that I guess for, for any business, but for some reason for Disney fans and us as consumers, there's a level of um, entitlement that I guess comes with that, with, with, with that fandom more so than other theme park uh, communities. I would argue, I couldn't imagine they'd be the same kind of core fan base. Um, uh, for, for for Six Flags, you know, in, on the on the same sort of level that there is for Disney, you know, um, and especially where where fans feel they you know they have such strong opinions because they've grown up with it and they've gone generations and generations of of going to the parks or being with the company and therefore they feel like they have a they they know the business and 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 so I think when you're in that position where you've not only is the world crashing and changing as we know it for all of us. Um, in the business, you know, whatever if you're in business or not, whatever, whoever you are, but then on top of that, 
you um, have to deal with the fact that you're managing a enormous company with so much weight, with so many people that want to uh, kind of have their have their voices and values be heard and have their opinions be heard. So you can't literally make a move without hurting someone. Following on from um, Bob Iger is also a massive... I mean, how do you follow that? You know what I mean? I think the guy completely was a huge success story um, and, a, and a true a true fan favourite. And, you know, that's evident now with him coming back. So, I don't know. What was your what was your take on that? I mean, I don't know if you've already discussed it in the episode, but what's your uh, what's your take? Do, do you want me to, to chip in, Ryan, or do you, do you want to have a, have a pop? I'll have, I'll have a pop. Um, let me put this on. I've got a Jakeman's in my <laughs> Um Yeah, so so I think so I think our view is basically that um, Bob Iger made a lot of the decisions that are actually unpopular, but I think it was more down to Chapek to implement them uh, in a better way, and then he's made other decisions which have kind of compounded bad things that he's done already so things like genie plus it could have been sold as quite um quite a good thing you know you can now plan on the day and you know we'll make sure crowd levels are better organized and queues aren't as long but i think what's happened is it became an obvious you know kind of cash grab um and so because of that um, I think people have kind of reacted badly to it. Um, and obviously other decisions have been made that are kind of mean, you know, like taking away, um, you know, benefits, you know, particularly for people visiting from the UK, you know, things like not bringing back this free dining and the offer that's being made at the moment doesn't feel like it's good value for money, really. So I think I think um, overall, you know, it could have done better. Um, but you know, I think Bob Iger. I don't think he can get um, he can get off scot free, <laughs> because I think ultimately he made a lot of decisions as well. Things like the Galactic Star Cruiser, which to me is a crazy idea, <laughs> and uh, the idea of having the paid fast pass is quite galling. I think when you're paying what like a hundred dollars or something to go to a park and then you've been asked to pay like another fifteen dollars per person to, to go on a ride it seems a little bit galling so in my mind um definitely a positive step that bob Iger's back but i don't think we can let him off scot-free either so um i guess we'll see how things transpire i think it's a, it's a really good point that sam's making though because disney is a lifestyle brand and people feel emotionally connected with it in a way that you don't get elsewhere. Um, so I, I, I do think that people make decisions based on on their emotions in a way you you aren't going to have elsewhere. And when when he was when Chapek made unpopular decisions, it immediately made a disconnect between you know the, the fan base and and and, and Chapek and. That kind of that kind of hard line, you know, it, it's very hard to, to reconnect with fans after that. That's happened, um, so I, I think that's an interesting point. I think, in a way, people didn't get to know Bob Chapek. So, I mean, you, you mentioned there, Dan, that you, uh, which which is right. It is a it is a lifestyle brand, absolutely. But okay, okay, so what 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 does that mean? Has it been a lifestyle brand? What's well, the way you 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 um you you live your life? You you abs- it's such a part of your 
of your makeup is 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 the is is the business is going to the parks watching the movie the, the whole brand as you say becomes a part of your life therefore you want to know everything about it um you want to know the people that are running it and i think that's why when you look at a lot of the disney leaders people like to understand and get to know who the disney leaders are um for the kind of for the kind of for, for who they are beyond the suit right um and people like, especially the American market, you know, and arguably internationally, people like that, the fact that they have a bit more of a personal or seemingly a personal relationship with um, these kind of core business leaders. So I think that's why people like Josh, uh, Josh Demira, uh, or Demiro, sorry, um, so much is because, you know, uh, he is so personable and he is such like you kind of average Joe or that's at least the kind of... Um, the kind of front he gives and he's out there, you know, he's always out there running, uh, doing five K's or, you know, certainly when I was with Disney cruise line, he was always out there running, um, running, uh, around the Island when he could. And when, when he, when he was sailing and, um, and again, you know, in the park, he's always out there speaking to the people and, you know, always makes time. And I think, um, he's very much that he's kind of a man of the people. And I think people like that. And that's why he's done so well. And people like him so much. Um, I think, did Chapek give that a try? Did he try to kind of break down the barrier to, to show who he was, show that vulnerability and allow people to get to know him as a human? Perhaps not as much, perhaps, but you know. Um, and I understand that there's a big difference between Josh being a... Um, uh, you know, the, the chair for, for Disney Parks and Resorts and, and Chapek at the time being the head of the company. But I even think with 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 uh, Bob Iger, you know, that that there is, again, that that sort of level of personality and, and connection with with um, with with the public and with the people that, that, that love the company. And again, I think people people gravitate towards Iger more because he has a much more relaxed feel. I think Chapek quite, never quite had that um interpersonal relationship with the kind of rest of the the, the, the rest of the world like like Boiga had and like um the the previous leaders had um you know I, I, perhaps that's where yeah. perhaps that's where it went I don't know we could yeah. go on forever with this topic though couldn't we no yeah no I think you're right and um you know maybe they could have brought Michael Eisner back maybe as <laughs> instead but um i don't know if you'd have fancied it um but the the final bit of the final news item from 2022 that i wanted to to cover and it's a shame that brett's not with us because i'm sure that this topic would be um very passionate be a very passionate topic for for brett and that's the retracking of nemesis now am i am i losing my mind about this but they are just retracking, and I know that it's effectively it's effectively a brand new ride almost. But they've been retracking the big one for like the last five years or something, and people aren't saying the kind of things that they're saying about Nemesis. Are, are people overreacting about a retrack, or is it the end of an era because the new track from B and M is going to be very different? It's not going to have the same feel anymore. What, what do you think about this retrack? So is the difference basically that they're doing everything in in one fell swoop? They're not doing it incrementally like they've, they've done with the big one. It's it's a complete overhaul from scratch. Is is that the situation with Nemesis? 
Yeah, so so basically, the, the, they've taken the take in the process of taking the whole track off, um, and they'll be replacing the track completely. I think most of the supports will be staying. Uh, there's going to be a couple of rejigs, as far as the supports are concerned, um, and it's not really clear yet what's going to happen with the theming. I suspect that the vast majority of the theming will be as is, but you know, revitalized. But there has been some suggestion that we might be seeing some some new things, maybe as well, some surprises, maybe a better tie-in with the original theme, perhaps, maybe even bringing back the original logo, maybe, which I'm sure Brett would be very happy about. So yeah, they are doing it all in in one fell swoop, which is definitely different to how they're doing it with a big one, but in many ways, um, effectively the same process, which is replacing the old track with new tracks so that we can have another 20 years of the ride basically i mean, given that the original branding i reckon is is pretty unquestionably better than what they had up till very recently surely a change which potentially could revert back to that that you know that original launch surely that should be met with 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 positive positive thoughts all around i mean a retrack is, in my opinion, really good because it shows that it's gonna it's gonna last another few decades. And I, I think there was some general concern about what was going to happen to to Nemesis. Um, and to me, this is all pretty good news, um, particularly if if they do decide to do a bit of, of retheming and, and try and get it back in line with the original vision. Um, but but maybe this is just me being a bit over overly optimistic. Yeah, no, I. I, I agree with both of you, to be honest. I, I don't really have too much of an opinion um, on the retrack and Nemesis. Uh, I think I, I in agreement with Dan. I think, uh, you know, it had to happen. Um, and if it didn't, who knows what state the ride could be in. Uh, we can't deny that if we just left it, it would, you know, it would just be getting worse and worse day by day, you know, if we left it. I mean, sure, it would take a while to to get to that state but um you've got to do what you've got to do to preserve the ride and i think as as you both said i think we'd both be we, we would all be happy that the ride stays around for longer yeah that's kind of all yeah that's I'm, my thoughts. and i guess talking about a ride that isn't going to be around any longer which um we've touched on before which is the ultimate um, at Lightwater Valley, which I know, I know you were very desperate to ride the other year when we did our summer summer bash to Flamingo Land and um, Blackpool, but that's that's now going to be permanently closed. I've I've not seen anything. I don't know if it's. I presume it's still standing at the moment, um, but yeah, that's been confirmed. That it's not reopening. How do you feel about about the ultimate? being closed forever it seems like we're losing a very unique roller coaster um not just in the uk but you know in the world i think that's such a shame uh, oh go on Dan. Yeah. well I was, I was just gonna say it's a massive loss it's it's irreplaceable it's it's one of a kind and it's completely unique and it's such a big big roller coaster and and really it was the heart of of lightwater valley um so i'm not sure you know obviously they're, they're focusing more at, at younger kids now and maybe a, a cheaper a cheaper day out for younger kids uh but that sort of rips out the heart of a park that, that used to be you know it used to be a theme park and now 
I, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily describe describe it as that. So I think it's 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 a big loss for the for for theme park enthusiasts and roller coaster enthusiasts. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's just sad, really. Gutted, absolutely gutted. That I, I mean, I'd never got to do it. And as you're saying, like Ryan, when I came up to see you, I remember it was one of those things that we undenied about. I can't remember why we didn't. It wasn't open or something. I can't remember why we didn't go, but um, I just remember being really, really gutted when I heard that news and the fact that we are losing such an iconic attraction um, for all of its stories as well. You know, the fact that it got completed by, you know, the, the National Rail uh, and it was it had all this bizarrity, the fact that it like weaved in and out the trees. It was There was nothing like it around the world, certainly in Europe. And we were so lucky to have that. I understand, obviously, things need to change. A park needs to do what it needs to do to survive on its feet. But if I just almost feel at that point, it should have been, as ridiculous as it sounds, it should have been marked as like a national treasure or almost like a kind of like a heritage attraction, you know, like similar to how Blackpool, the Big Dipper, the Grand National, things like that are almost kind of, unofficially earmarked as kind of like natural heritage like you don't want to get rid of that because they mean so much to the nation and i would argue that that um that is the same with 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 um with with the ultimate you know i think uh i think it is a loss i think it's a massive shame but ultimately um it's it's it is what it is uh yeah yeah, and and another loss for twenty twenty two has been uh, Apocalypse as well, um, which has ended its life at Drayton Manor. Um, I think that type of drop tower. I think I saw another park which has decommissioned uh, one uh, the same as well. Um, so I can only presume it's just got to the end of its life and it can't be maintained anymore. They can't get the parts anymore. But um, Drayton Manor, again, uh, seem to be pivoting uh, a bit more towards the family market, but they haven't been as um, they haven't been as extreme about it. Uh, Lightwater Valley have completely rebranded and become a, a family family dinosaur park or something. <laughs> I don't know. But they've been doing really well, so that's great. They've been making, you know... Uh, quite a bit of money apparently but Drayton Manor they've still got Shockwave of course still got Stormforce 10 so still got Thrill Rides so what do we think about you know Drayton Manor and, and the loss of um, Apocalypse in, in 2022 I mean from my perspective it's it's less of a loss just because it's, it's the uniqueness of the ride isn't isn't in line with the ultimate the ultimate was a a completely unique experience that you as, as sam said you, you you know you're not gonna find many roller coasters that were just randomly built around trees that they didn't want to chop down you know you're not going to find many rides that that sort of just are in line with the landscape in that way um drop towers you know it, it, there are there are unique components to, to drop towers around the world but the actual ride experience is more or less the same, no matter where you go. So uh, I've got a lot less feelings on that one. I think Drayton Manor are actually, I actually have a real soft spot for Drayton Manor because I think what they're trying to do at the moment 
is really good. They're really trying to focus on new investment into their park, um, which is actually a really, really good idea. Because if you think about it, prior to them being taken over and they, them having this sort of rebranding, as, as we've seen it over the last few years, they were just kind of a, a bit of a semi sort of dead space park. They had a lot of old attractions. They hadn't really changed anything up new. Things were kind of just being left. Um, and what they've now done in the, over the last few years, which is fantastic, they've changed their branding, changed their imagery, shoved loads of new money. They're, the new Vikings land has been a massive success. The social media team there is fantastic as well. Shout out to them because they are wonderful. Um, and I am going to say this now. I'm going to make a really strong prediction for the next two years, because I'm not sure, maybe even longer. I wouldn't be surprised if Drayton Manor would be the first UK theme park to have an RMC. Um, the the things that they're doing at the moment around the park to clear the land, and they seem to put in more and more money. They're getting they've got rid of the the kind of the pirates attraction thing that had the massive show building at the back. Um, they've got rid of got rid of Apocalypse. Um, not massively in the same kind of area but they seem to be clearing land scrapping things making way for something big and i honestly wouldn't put it past them to whack an rmc and be the um, and do that because it's the kind of first it's the kind of thing that they would do to a to get to get to get it first but also in terms of their branding and their social media and the kind of the ways they like to jump on they like to jump on like uh hypes and then also kind of own something that is just theirs. Like Viking, the, the, the Viking land, okay, we've seen similar attractions in Merlin, you know, you've got Cobra, you've got lots of, lots of discos, but it was their own, their own land that they marketed and wasn't associated with an IP and they just held with it fast and it's been really successful. So I honestly wouldn't put it past them to whack an RMC in the, in the next few years. Do you think we'll see... Um... If we had an RMC, it'd be more like a family version of an RMC, a bit more in the, a bit more like in the lightning rod kind of um, esque style, perhaps, but maybe slightly less thrilling than than lightning rod. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think you know, um, I, I think they'll very much stick to the family market. We've seen that's worked for the park. Uh, and for what they seem to be doing, they seem to be moving away, moving away. They seem to be going for, for the sort of family thrill level, and it seems to be working really well. And also, interestingly enough, being so close to Alton Towers. So if you don't know, uh, Drayton Manor is kind of Birmingham way. Alton Towers is just a little bit further up. There's probably, I don't actually know, maybe like an hour and a bit in between them, not maybe even less than that. Um, not, not. Not very far at all, really, for essentially a similar product, a theme park and a hotel overnight stay. Um, they very much veer away from what Alton Towers try to do. They're very much doing their own things. Um, they know that they're not going for the biggest, the fastest, the scariest, because they kind of don't they don't have the need to do that, nor do they particularly have the budget, you know, they don't have the same kind of budget that Alton Towers does. But they're really strong with their family thrill, and they know they've got a family market with Thomas Land, they know they're aiming for those kind of families with kind of pre-teens, early teens. Um, and that's certainly what their new branding and logo goes for, as well as the, the new investments. So absolutely, if they're going to do an RMC, they'll do, an, they'll do a family thrill and they'll stick to um, their family thrill market that, they, that they've been doing because um, 
it makes them totally different from uh, Alton Towers, which is their immediate competition. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll have to we'll have to go down to um, Drayton Manor to do a, a live episode. I think I think we said before we wanted to do a live episode there, so I think that'll be one to um, keep an eye out for. So um, before we finish up, then talking about family frills, um, I think you need to help us settle an argument, Sam. Um, is the world's strongest man a Christmas tradition? Yes or no? The world's strongest man. That is that. That's on. Right. That's the. Um, Don't tell me you've not heard of world's strongest man as well. I feel. Yeah. I feel like I'm yeah. explaining world's strongest man to people. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've made this up, Ryan. I'm, I, this no, isn't a thing. I, I, You're just really odd. I know the show. Like it's, but it's like. Um, I didn't know it still happens now. I thought it was sort of as a no- thing that happened in the noughties. No, it still happened. I mean, the the, the current <laughs> the current world's strongest man is is from from the UK. It's uh, Luke Stoltman. Uh, no, sorry, Tom Stoltman, not his brother. He's, 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 big Luke, Luke Stoltman is Europe's strongest man uh, at the moment. Brother, that might have changed. So you've never heard of the family tradition of watching the world's strongest man of Christmas watching. <laughs> You know the big burly men lifting things and chains and pulling cars and trains and things like it's that. Just, no, Monopoly <laughs> is more of a family tradition than watching big burly men lifting buses. You know, like, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say as we're tucking into our sort of Sunday Sunday roast our turkey dinner. Well, who do you think scored to win the strongest man? Then I don't know. After eating after tea. No, we got presents after that. No, we got world's strongest man. I need to see who's going to go and lift a bus anywhere. Happy Christmas. <laughs> it's, not that's a northern, the kind of... it's not a northern thing. It's, you know... well, it must be. I've got, I've got it's not thought. a thing, that's why. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not a northern thing. <laughs> oh, man. That's very true. Oh, man. I actually have a piece of news that I'd love to bring to the docket if I can. Yes, go for it. Okay, so this came out today literally um and it's very exciting i don't know if you've covered it or not um so it was announced today fresh off the press that the um sfx coaster from dynamic attractions um called mission ferrari over at uh, ferrari world abu dhabi um is officially going to be open on the 12th of january uh, next year, 2023. Now, if you are a particular coaster enthusiast um, or you follow the, the Middle Eastern uh, parks, you will know that this attraction in particular on Yaz Island at Froy World has been in, um, been in construction now for absolutely ages. We're talking like six, seven years in the making, um, like donkey's years. Um, and it is apps it's just going to be wild uh if you've seen all of the track like the famous pieces track that kind of comes out and does a does a couple of inversions and heads back inside the humongous show building um you'll know what i'm talking about it is it is huge it's said to have um 12 different elements and being a dynamics attraction you're thinking on the, along the similar lines of um uh escape from gringotts so uh if you've not done that, if you've done that, then you'll know what I'm talking about with some of the special effects and trick track and things. If you've not done that, then I won't spoil it. Um, but we're talking 
it's going to have this thing is going to have screens it's going to have um uh, all sorts of uh, physical special effects um it's going to be a kind of mission impossible ferrari star vibe um it's <laughs> it's even going to have as i say 12 different elements like um as in track elements in the actual ride itself along the actual uh, layout um including the world's first sideways coaster drop so um if you think of like a like a normal drop it's gonna somehow drop sideways um so i'd imagine we're thinking tilt tracks we're thinking turntables we're thinking launches uh and this sideways drop I mean, bunkers. This thing's going to be absolutely crazy. Opening on the 12th of January. It's really one to watch. There's lots of um, articles, uh, media out there. Robert Niles from Theme Park Insider just did a really nice uh, little article about that today. Um, so it's worth having a look there if you follow Theme Park Insider. Um, there's lots on Blue, Blue Loop as well if you follow Blue Loop. Um, lots of bits on there. Uh, in general, give it a Google. Have a look because this thing is going to be cutting edge and absolutely crazy and if you if you are listening from the middle east and or you follow particularly the yaz island developments as well you'll know sea world abu dhabi is coming very soon out there as well um and that's going to have a interman uh blitz i believe similar to like copperhead strike um that's going to have a coaster outside there and so there's there's actually this year they're going to have a brand new sea world theme park and this mission ferrari so there's so much happening um, on Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi uh, with morale experiences. So they're going to be one, that's going to be one destination to look out for and to have a look at because it's going to be mega. Um, they've also released as well recently news that the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, uh, which if you've done any of the Florida parks or the, or generally the Universal parks around the world, you'll know how good they are. Um, that is coming to Warner Brothers World uh out in on on, on yas island um uh as well so they're building an extension and that, that was funny because there was a lot of talk of how on earth are they going to extend a a fully enclosed inside theme park right i mean how can you how can you add to that um but actually if you look on google maps you will see that there is uh open spaces in the original plot of land that they can just essentially build i guess uh, another warehouse uh, next to it and then just blow a hole in the wall um, and connect the two dots up, which is a really cool way to build a fully inside theme park. But yeah, it was announced that, you know, the Wisdom World is going to be coming to the Middle East. It'll be the first um, uh, version of it. And um, I, I don't think, I guess, because of the uh, limitations of being inside, I don't think they'll be able to do a kind of Forbidden Journey style um like with the huge castle and stuff i guess because of the constraints of it being inside plus not to mention they've also got the batman uh attraction there which uses the robo arm as well so i don't think that would be really interesting because um uh, it will be interesting to see what's going to be put in there um and how they're going to bring that wisdom world to life whether they're going to be going on the same lines of Diagon Alley, whether they're going to be going um hogsmeade or if they're going to do something totally new um, we know that for Epic Universe, they're going to be focusing on the Ministry of Magic. So could we be seeing something similar to that? I don't know. But there's just with Mission Ferrari, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and SeaWorld Abu Dhabi coming. Um, the Middle East right now is a real hotspot for theme park activity. Uh, so it's it's worth looking because they don't go halves on investments out there. It's huge.
Anyway, no, that was my no. that was my ten cents. No, no, the dark. No, that's a really good overview. Uh, thank you. And that, yeah, a lot to look forward for in twenty twenty three, and um, hopefully also we'll have more episodes to look forward to as well. So we'll have to cover some of that in a future episode. Maybe we'll talk about Epic Universe because that's going vertical now. Um, I think we've got some. I, I know a couple of people who are over in the Middle East. Maybe we can have some some guests um, to come over and talk about some of the new attractions over there. So, I think we've got some recordings, at least a one recording planned in for the new year. So we're going to have some more episodes. I think I said at, at the beginning of the episode we did six episodes last year, <laughs> which isn't very many, and the last one was in May. Um, but yeah, we are going to do more next year. So, um, and hopefully, uh, Dan and Sam, you'll um, you'll join us for for those. Hopefully. Sorry, I'm googling how much tickets are. Sabi, Sabi. Um... <laughs> well, we'll we'll have to go on a we'll have to go on a group trip, won't we? Over there, we'll enjoy. It's, it. it's funny you say that, you say that, but uh, I'm exactly the same. I've been looking because um, there is so much theme park. I mean, just in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, the two Emirates right next door, you've got. You've got um, uh, Motion Gate, right, which is incredible. You've got uh, IMG World Adventure, plus you've got the, the, the five different theme parks in Yaz. So it's just nonstop out there. Definitely, definitely. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there then. So this has been our Christmas 2022 special. Not talked a lot about Christmas, but it's, <laughs> we talked a little bit about Christmas at the beginning. We know that Sam's favourite Scrooge is actually the Grinch. Um, Dan's favourite Scrooge is actually um, Michael Caine and more specifically Muppet's Christmas Carol mine's Alistair Sim which apparently nobody knows who he is anymore <laughs> but it's still my favourite one so yeah so we've had a, a good episode thanks for joining us Sam um, and we'll have another episode in the future hopefully Sam can join us at the beginning of the episode hopefully <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll make it on time. I'll make it on time, I promise. Oh, and also, I just can't, I can't wait, cannot wait for more episodes and just to get this in Roman again because I missed it last year. Hey, didn't we all miss it? I thought we all missed it. We all missed it. I think we all missed it, really, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> We've been a bit too out the loop. Next year's uh, our, our Disney Disney year again, Ryan. So we've got got a little bit more more to look forward to. Yeah, and that and that's a point as well. Um, we we did plan to do a series of episodes looking at specifically the uh, trip planning process around going to Orlando. So we'll definitely get those planned in and and try and sort of land those um, in spring. So we'll we'll plan those episodes in. What we'll do is we'll cover. Uh, a different topic each time so we'll try and do it so we'll cover you know hotels where to stay um food where to eat um you know the theme parks in a bit more detail um so we'll work out some episodes if you're up for that dan um and sam that would be good if we can uh, do that because we've all got quite you know good experience and, and knowledge around florida and hopefully that'll give some people um some good planning tips if they're planning to go to orlando in the near future as well I feel like we just need to unleash Sam's un- unfathomable knowledge. Uh, that's all I need. My unfathomable knowledge? I was going to say, Dan, you're an absolute <laughs> expert when it comes to this kind of stuff. And let's let, let, let's get real there, Dan. Um, I go I go value and I stay off property. You're 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 absolutely on it when it comes to your your ducks resorts. You really are. So um, Dan's in I the think... luxury market. Is in the luxury market. Is Dan. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've got no choice. It's dictated by by my family. I'm I'm just tagging along for the rise. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. And Rye, you know, you, you've been out. I mean, I think together we 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 could give so much Disney knowledge between us. Uh, we'd blow the roof off this thing. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that needs to happen definitely. Definitely, definitely. Yep. So thanks for joining us both of you. That's been a really good episode. Really enjoyed it. And we will see you all again in 2023.